It's time, it's time for the end to begin. I want to give a big shout out and a thank you to my friends, Nate Henry and the Blurry Creatures podcast, to Derek Olson and Megalithic Marvel's podcast, to Jenny Meyer and the Rooted True podcast. They have an incredible platform. So my gosh, you guys should go check them out. I just can't thank you enough. And you guys who've been listening since day one, Thank you, thank you, thank you for helping this channel grow, helping people to hear and see the podcast. You know, I can keep posting it, putting out there, but it really grows when you guys love it and you share it. So thank you so much for sharing it, not only about this book coming up, but also just trying to equip young people and people in general, but really our teenagers on how to overcome the assault against them in this crazy cryptid days of noah-esque type world we live in now and it's only going to get uh progressively weird i'm not necessarily saying that i'm a dispensationalist and everything's going to get bad and ugly or everything's going to get perfect and wonderful but what i am saying is that the bible tells us we can expect hard times in this life we know they'll come and we'll expect to have trials and troubles but we know that jesus christ has overcome the world. So we can take that to heart and know that the one who endures to the end, to him, he will receive the crown of life. Last night, I was having a great chat with a bunch of creatives in our community, authors, publishers, and, and just a group of people who have done a lot of amazing writings and works over their life. And I got to share some of my heart with my wife and those people at that meeting about this serialized audio drama, The End. And I'm so excited to share it with you, starting with chapter one. Today, we have made it. If it's been a wait, it's been a minute, but I think now is the time, and I'm so thrilled to be releasing it now on a weekly basis, chapter by chapter, book one of The End. If you didn't get the prologue, make sure to go back a few episodes or find my playlist in Spotify, and you can Follow along on the PKJ and Yahweh podcast as these roll out in amongst other guests, interviews about end time theology, apologetics, and how we can keep Jesus at the center of our faith amidst all the swirling second coming of this new age and occult uh, practices that are coming in to our view and assaulting our lives and our children's lives today. And I wanted to do something special for today's kickoff to the series. I know we posted the prologue before. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it first. It's kind of like a sneak peek way into the middle of the book. So be sure to listen to that, but then come back here. But to make today special, kicking off chapter one of the book, I invited my good friend, Tony. Percy Jackson has that goat boy, Grover. Frodo has good old faithful Samwise Gamgee. And Harry Potter's got one of them redheaded Weasley boys. Likewise, in my story, I've got a Tony. And everybody needs that. So without any further delay, let's hop on over and let's see what Tony has to say about the end. Now, of course, in the story that I'm writing, uh, Tony is a little more animated. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm writing that this is Tony, but this is my good friend, one of my best friends, Tony. And uh, he, he's the inspiration for some of the character. And uh, throughout the whole journey, I've just been you know, he's been an inspiration and encouragement to me, always listening to the uh, episodes early and give me critiques and help me fashion it in a, in a direction. And so I've just been really happy to be able to bounce stuff off of him and just want to bring him on and just uh, and, and just have him help me introduce episode one. Hey, Tony. 
Hey, how's it going? Good, man. So uh, I sent you probably chapped like the prologue forever ago. And uh, from that day, I was like, man, this is this is fun. It was really fun uh, for me to get to share it with somebody. What are some of the little highlights that you think as you as you're thinking through the pieces that you've enjoyed? Oh, man. I mean, I think uh, any part that highlights one of uh, one of your characters is always good. So whether that be uh, me, you, Melissa, Tara, Pastor Scott, like you just do such a good job of capturing the very essence of this is exactly how a character would react to the situation. Though the situations themselves do not uh, really line up with like any particular timeline, whether that's now, future, whatever because it kind of has a mix of all those things so yeah no it's been really fun and uh thank you man i just uh wanted to honor you and and, and thank you for all the just encouragement and support you've given me along the journey and i can't wait to start seeing more people enjoy this audio drama and i appreciate you and thank you for for helping me launch in this episode so uh tony would you just uh would you would you just do me a favor here and just Welcome, everybody, and introduce chapter one of the end for me. Ah, well, welcome, everybody, newcomers or people who have already heard bits and pieces from what shared. Uh, I know that you guys are in for a treat, uh, that it has some uh, pieces of mystery and intrigue, some aspects of slice of life uh, and sci-fi aspects. And really, when, uh, you know... It, it sounds almost a little dramatic to say like, oh, this is, you know, the story of the end or the beginning of the end or whatever. But when you look at it in context of, you know, everything that's going on today and, you know, everything that people say is going to happen in the future, like it's not that far off. You're you're uh, you're getting a very vivid glimpse in some very real ways. So and so with all that being said, here's chapter one. The end. Chapter one. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Revelation 2, 4. McGrudes! I shouted across the cafe to my coworker Melissa. Would you mind locking up tonight? I gotta get going. Yep, sure thing, Kev. She dismissively waved goodbye while rushing back onto the stage in order to finish off her epic karaoke battle against a half dozen junior high girls. Thanks, uh, uh, okay, bye. My gratitude echoed off the now empty bubble tea cafe walls which led into the youth sanctuary of my church. I had already grabbed my bag and was halfway out the door anyways. In all honesty, I would have just left without saying anything at all had our junior high director not seen me leaving. It's not as if it was anything new for me to take off immediately following a service or for her to lock up with the support of some other volunteers anyways. I just need to get out of here, I rationalized with myself while loading my backpack of books into the car. <sighs> it's been a long day of meetings. Talking with parents, more meetings, filing my receipts, and I ruminated the events of the day over and over in my head, trying to qualify my motives for leaving as justifiable, rather than just staying and singing a few lines from a Disney movie with a handful of 12-year-old girls. It's just awkward if I stay anyways, They'll have more fun singing their songs without me. I'm sure of it. The excuses continued to flow like a well-read poem. And I'm super tired. Midweek youth church gatherings were the ideal model since, well, at least back to the 90s when I was a teenager. 
Though the likely origin of Wednesday night youth church gatherings certainly predated my childhood and the era of Kurt Cobain and Pearl Jam, I had never actually pursued the answer of why. To be fair, there were plenty of other more exciting origin stories to be passionate about in the universe than that of liturgy, like those found in Marvel's multiverse of endless recycled iterations of superheroes thus single-handedly saving the aging factor of actors by replacing them, and saving money on writers as you could relive every movie again and again, with the only difference being in this multiverse, grass is blue. Wednesdays, however, should have been the highlight of my week. My own 10,000 square feet filled with bubble tea, french fries, video games, air hockey, ping pong, live music, professional lighting and stage displays, neon signs, prizes, and enough 60 second challenges to run a game show for 37 consecutive seasons without using a single challenge twice. Where else can you go? Get free drinks, race goldfish, enjoy a live band and light show, followed by an inspirational live speaker to motivate you beyond your self-doubt, to believe that you, in fact, do not totally suck, your life is worth living, and you have a purpose beyond existence? All this for free, every week? All you gotta do is show up? And I was the guy, the one who sets it in motion and gets the right people around to make it happen week after week. It was amazing. Our team kept coming back every week to do it again. Sounds pretty great to me. Then why did I spend most of the day waiting for it to end? If I were being honest with myself, which I wasn't, that was how I felt almost every day, longing for the next thing. If I'm at work, I wanted to be home. If I was at home, I wanted to go out. If I were doing something fun, I'd fill my thoughts with a thousand other projects of what I should be doing or planning. Hey, Pastor Kevin! A woman's voice called out from the parking lot as I closed my car door. <sighs> I knew that voice, and if I look up now, I'll be stuck here for another hour having a fruitless conversation with this crazy lady. I started my car. Pastor Kevin! She called out again while trying to get my attention. I know it seems callous, but I don't care. After all, she doesn't seem to care when it comes to respecting my personal boundaries or my time. The last time I indulged her with a conversation, she carried on about her husband who's been in jail for 20 years, her kids who are all graduated, and starts crying every other thought while inquiring if she should still try and prevent her 30-year-old adult son from having a relationship with his imprisoned father. Click. The radio buzzed to life in full volume. I never made eye contact. Maybe she'll assume I never heard her. Ah, uh, yes. The poetry river flowed through my thoughts and off my lips like a Shakespearean sonnet. I continued to comfort myself with those words as I pulled out of the parking lot and onto the main road. If honesty were a virtue that I'd be graded on, despite my genuine efforts, my GPA for a virtuous life would be somewhere around 1.3 to 2.0 at best. Even though I believe myself to be honest with everyone, telling them the truth in love, encouraging parents, students, leaders, strangers, I fail terribly at being honest with myself. It doesn't really matter how genuine I appeared to be on Wednesday nights. My heart just wasn't in it anymore. My heart was more focused on making everything look good, then on dipping out as soon as possible, convincing myself that it was on account of picking up some Thai food on my way home before the restaurant stops taking orders at 8.30 p.m. Truthfully though, I have a horrible habit of lying, at least when it comes to telling myself lies. Among my top favorite lies to use on the daily included, I'm so busy. I've got so much going on. I need to do more. I'm not doing enough. People aren't pleased with me. I'm such a failure. And don't forget the king granddaddy of all lies that functions as a valid excuse for nearly every scenario. For if every soul in the history of humanity would say these two words in the right tone and with the proper cadence, they could escape trouble, avoid getting fired, restore relationships, give understanding to others, shifting their attitude towards you from anger and bitterness into compassion and empathy. 
These two words could perhaps even forgive seasons of harsh neglect, verbal abuse, and selfishness. No, it's not I'm sorry. These words have almost completely lost use in today's society. On the other hand, if one were to simply say I'm tired in the right context, they could have ended family feuds, possibly even brought warring parties back to the negotiation tables where peace treaties can be discussed again. I wasn't thinking right. I'm tired. In my field of expertise, I typically find some variation of those two words used as a blanket escape from all accountability or being held responsible for one's actions, excusing them for their poor decision-making ability, or the outright defiant rebellion in both children and adults alike. Unfortunately, for all those who utilize this verbal spell as an escape from all harm cannot escape the number one rule of magic. That is, all magic comes with a price. By perpetually avoiding responsibility and consequence with this mindless rhetorical enchantment, you incur a moral debt that will sooner or later come knocking at your door to collect on what you owe. One might think that having knowledge of this truth would empower said individual to live free from it, but that's the difference between one who is wise and a fool. Wisdom is simply applied knowledge. However, fools are those who have knowledge but lack application. Unfortunately for me, I was the latter of those two. In my mind, whether consciously or subconsciously, my existence had seemingly become some type of perpetual motion device that just kept running. However, there are two laws in thermodynamics that govern the longevity of this exchange in energy. The first law of thermodynamics states that energy cannot be created or destroyed. The total quantity of energy in the universe stays the same. The second, as energy is transferred or transformed, more and more of it is wasted. The second law also states that there is a natural tendency of any isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state. I have been defying what was considered impossible by neglecting the second law for far too long. Feeling wasteful, isolated, alone, physically and emotionally degenerating into an ever-increasing state of disorder and chaos. The truth is, I was tired. So tired. That's really why I left early tonight. I had spent so much energy over the past decade fighting against culture to build community for teenagers, creating a sense of belonging for those kids who repeatedly had no idea there was a need for it at all until they would reach their mid-twenties, feeling depressed, alone, isolated, devoid of actual friends or hobbies, or any sense of personal worth and value. They're left wagging their finger about in a dark room of mirrors while desperately attempting to identify a target to accuse for stealing their childhood from them. However, when the lights come on, they discover the identity of those shadowy figures in the distance they've been blaming all these years for their dysfunction and inability to integrate into a community, which turned out to be their own unwillingness to be a part of a community. Few teenagers actually want to hang out with each other much anymore. Endless scrolling of short video clips that are rejected if interest is not sparked in a fifth of a second, reducing our attention spans to that less of a goldfish. Or living alternate lives in virtual environments full of rich color, fantasy, and non-stop dopamine-triggering experiences that reality can't nor was it designed to endlessly provide back-to-back. -back. The effects on the brain of these alternate realities were equivalent to snorting countless lines of cocaine, and even more addicting than methamphetamines causing significantly more damage to one's ability to function in a society beyond that of a virtual one. When they're forced to put their phone down or turn off the VR, the problems of their real lives were still there, lurking like a prowling lion waiting to pounce, kill, and eat. Real life didn't have the same thrill anymore. To put it plainly, the colors were dull, the graphics were lame, and real life cost far too much mentally, emotionally, and physically to really enjoy anymore. 
Why would students want to stay late cultivating new acquaintances at their church with someone they only see once a week at best anyway, especially when they have dozens of friends all around the world waiting for them to hurry back home so they can slay dragons, blow up the Empire State Building, and assassinate the president? Uh, all in good fun, of course. It's not reality. It's just a game, remember? Finally, tired of listening to my spiraling thoughts while driving home, I turned the radio up in hopes of drowning out the incessant nagging voice of cynicism and depression echoing off the walls of my head. So, you haven't actually taken any dimethyltryptamine before? No, I have not. And why is that? Well, it's a psychedelic drug that has been known to cause all sorts of extreme mental health disorders like schizophrenia, paranoia, PTSD. The list of potential side effects goes on. But we now know, largely thanks to the backing of those guys over there in Switzerland, with all their discoveries and communications coming out of that super collider at CERN, we understand so much more about science and unseen forces at work affecting everything we thought to be science and facts. Now boards a line of what people thousands of years ago would have just called magic is actually a measurable, intelligent force at work. And in some ways, that force has been able to communicate with a few scientists in a lab utilizing their quantum gadgets or whatever. But what they're finding is this unseen force is pointing to new technological discoveries and advancements transforming the way we live our lives today. Now. Here's the kicker. If these same scientists would have just listened to me when I told them about the things I saw coming off a magic mushroom carpet ride in 97 and took me seriously, they would have had these life-saving advancements decades ago. <laughs> well, yes, studies do now confirm that the images, the information, or stories, if you will, and these entities which people have encountered while under the influence of DMT are consistent with the measurable data being released over the last few years at CERN. It's quite possible people have had access to and interacted with the same beings for the last couple million years, if not longer. Now, people do experience various stages of hallucinations with these psychotropic drugs. And while their stories have some vast array of experiences, from nominal to extreme, even, quote, debilitating in some severe cases, most can confirm encounters with these seemingly divine beings living among us that we can't normally see with our naked eye. So with all this new information, DMT resorts worldwide, where you can go encounter these beings, have a conversation, all while guided and supervised by a medical team, why haven't you pulled the trigger and checked it out for yourself? I mean, you're a smart guy, a scholar, highly recognized voice in the supernatural community, supremely educated, an ancient languages expert, well-read in all world religions. I would have expected you to be the first to sign up and have a conversation with these entities. With your expertise and knowledge, combined with a quick psychedelic trip to the other side, you might actually gain even better revelation than most, even possibly benefiting all of us through just one discussion between you and them. Well, I... Mr. Johnson, you made it just in time today. We almost left your food outside the door for you. Noted. I'll show up a few minutes later next time and spare myself the bill. Oh, don't worry about that, Mr. Johnson. We would just put on your bill next time you come back. If anyone ever hired a hitman to kill me, I certainly wouldn't last long, nor would I even make it difficult for him. Dare I say I would even come in a close second on his list of easiest bounties collected. 
My habits and routines were far too predictable. What can I say? I just like to go where I know people and they know me. It doesn't matter if it's a specific cashier at a grocery store or the chef at a restaurant, but once that connection is made, I'm a customer for life. If that old TV show Cheers was real life, then I'm Norm Peterson. As for who would be number one on that list of easiest murders in histories though, you'd have to ask my wife. She's the true crimes podcast junkie and conspiracy theorist. But when I say theorist, it would be more accurate to call her a historian of truth and prophetess of reality, as her theories tend to become an unfolding narrative of the future as if she herself were its ghostwriter. It's comical in one sense that though I trust her ability to discern accurate insights into future global events, I still have this innate need to disagree with her on almost everything, from geopolitical motives and agendas to how the furniture in our library should be arranged. I tell myself that the reason I debate her at every point is because if I only agreed with her all the time, I'd be adding no real value to the conversation. That'll be 5763. Oh, uh, right. Um, let me see here. I stumbled through my pockets like Detective Columbo leaving an interrogation session desperately searching for something smaller than a $20 bill. I swear they intentionally priced the menu like this, I silently complained to myself, so I either end up feeling like a schmuck for leaving a $2.37 tip, or like I got mugged for leaving a nearly $23 gratuity on a $50 check. Uh, do you have any change today? All I have are four $20 bills. No, my apologies, Mr. Johnson. Would you like to pay with a debit or credit card instead? No, that's all right. Just keep the change, I guess. If there is such a thing anymore. Oh, thank you, Mr. Johnson. That's very generous of you. Please tell your wife, Tara, hello. And I hope she is feeling better. You and me both, brother. I'm tired. I need her to get over this variant so I can take a sick week off of work just to take a break. Brian, the Vietnamese owner of both my favorite Thai restaurant and the nail salon next door, gave a hearty guttural laugh while handing me the steaming bag of Thai food. I responded in like manner while heading back to my car. Was it great customer service or a genuine friendship? It didn't really matter to me. We called each other by name and were friendly. So it was a relational connection sufficient enough for me to feel valued. <sighs> Take me home. Thoroughly exhausted, I did not feel like driving anymore. Don't forget to buckle up first, whispered back an overly sexualized robotic voice through the car stereo. Hey, who's the boss here, Amy? No. I was not having an affair. Amy is the name for the artificial intelligence that drives most of the cars on the roads today. I thought we had run out of acronyms by now. However, I suppose there were still a few trademarks unlicensed. Amy stood for Artificially Intelligent Motor for Increased Efficiency and Economy. It's a mouthful to say the least, which is on par for how much she seems to run her virtual chatter bossing me around. I'm ready as soon as you are, Kevin. While we wait, I've turned your heated seat on to try and keep your food warm as my sensors have registered your dinner is getting cold. I was held hostage by my own car. All right, all right, I'm buckling, okay? Click. Thanks, Amy. I saltily expressed my gratitude for her overly controlling care for my own safety. My pleasure. Your estimated travel time to home is 2 minutes and 37 seconds. Hey babe, how'd it go tonight? My wife had been stuck at home all week on account of our state's current Mandatory Paid Sick Leave Act. This bill was enacted to provide a week of state-funded paid sick time off at whatever rate you claimed on your previously filed taxes. Some of the obstacles with this system is if you had received a raise after filing your taxes, you'd still get paid at your previously claimed wages. 
That wasn't usually too much of an issue considering you were getting a whole week off of work without burdening the pockets of small businesses or taxpayers at all, which really confused voters as to where the money was coming from. But we had become well adjusted to the government just printing more money whenever a pandemic hit or a buyout was needed, so we just rolled with it. The bigger day-to-day -day issues looked more like overloaded and overworked employees whose work doesn't pause for them until they return. It was this very issue that was exploited for a few years, where employees called in sick but still came into work in agreement with their business owners, forcing government funding to pay for all their employees' wages. That is, until this loophole was fixed in the most typical, inefficient, and thoughtless government mandate coming from the top down. The Mandatory Paid Leave Act developed by you Washingtonians is a prototype to help heal our communities and keep our neighbors healthy without burdening you, your family, or your employees. In our plan to provide government funding matching your current wages, we will continue to provide a week of paid leave at no additional fees, tariffs, or taxes to the great people of our state. We will keep sending these payments on the condition that you and your employer can confirm that no work is completed by you during that week. The work we want you to do is take care of your family, take care of yourself, rest, and get healthy. Stay home and keep Washington safe from the spread of sickness. If, however, you violate this agreement, you will be required to pay back all the benefits you've received as part of this program at your current employer. Although my wife was technically home from work on sick leave, she wasn't sick. She simply had a headache last week that turned into a migraine and further evolved into a mandatory week of sitting at home while another migraine builds itself up for her on her desk when she returns to work. I brought home Thai food, I replied with a smile. That good, huh? She knew what Thai food meant, especially when it was nearly 9.30 at night. Noodles meant I was sad, frustrated, or otherwise unhappy about something, and seeking comfort in the form of two-star veggie pad Thai, no egg, add fried tofu with a side of peanut sauce. I don't know what to do anymore, I sighed. I mean, I'm technically living in the fulfillment of my life's dreams right now. I've always wanted to be a youth pastor, and here I am, not starving, not broke, and a full-time youth pastor. But I feel even more frustrated now than I did when I was a delivery driver for 16 hours a day, five days a week, sometimes six. Feeling defeated, I handed Tara her noodles and a LaCroix. Letting out a big slow breath like a tire that had just been slashed, I sat on the couch to drown my sorrows with the best noodles in town. Kevin, you hated driving trucks. You just don't remember. I had to deal with you then, and I'm still dealing with you now. I was already feeling like a total failure at the moment. So in order to bat at a thousand, I immediately took offense to my wife's half-completed sentence rather than letting her finish it. Had I permitted her to go on speaking rather than interrupting her, I likely would have been greatly encouraged and gained perspective. But rather I torqued back. Oh, so all these years I haven't become any better. I'm just as big of a jerk now as I was then. Well, I'm sorry you have to deal with me. At least I brought you noodles. Tasting the sting of my own venom, I immediately knew I had inserted my foot into my mouth and chomped down, sinking my fangs deep into my shoe. Well, you are a jerk, and I was going to try and encourage you and help you remember your history correctly. You tend to get a few degrees separated from the things in your memory. How you felt and function becomes wildly skewed. You hated being a truck driver, but all you can think about are the few moments you liked about it. She was right. I hated getting up at 1am after having gone to bed only four hours earlier. To then work 16 long hours delivering thousands of pounds of groceries to restaurants in downtown Seattle, Bellevue, Redmond, and other local cities, all on a hand truck, one stack at a time. Yeah, but, I conjectured, thwap. A tiny bit of noodle slid down my cheek as I stared down the barrel of a smoking chopstick. 
My wife momentarily cracked a smile before suppressing it down like one of Doc Holliday's coughing fits, while never breaking eye contact as if her grin silently communicated, I'll be your huckleberry. It was obvious to see that my wife had unintentionally flung a bit of rice noodle at my head. However, she still interjected. No, you listen to me. Still waving her chopsticks around, she continued. That's the obstacle you keep beating your head against and why you're still unhappy. If you would just fix your focus on all the good that you are presently doing, instead of all you did and all you want to do, you could actually end each day with a sense of fulfillment instead of failure. I relented. There was no need to defend myself to her. On account of the fact that my wife was neither wrongly accusing me, nor was she trying to harm me. On the contrary, she spoke the truth and was attempting to help me. She has a knack for seeing things from a higher perspective, like all good generals do. The issue for me was I remained a foot soldier in my thoughts, maintaining a cyclical, cynical view of my past, present, and future, rather than perceiving and pursuing the purpose within the greater plan while enduring the hardships of the day-to-day. Do you hear what I'm saying? No one thinks you are failing. You are doing a good job. You just need to stop comparing yourself to unrealistic expectations. It had only taken me a few decades of marriage to finally learn the lesson of being slow to speak and quick to listen. Getting married at 20 years old, having never lived on my own prior to then, brought with itself a slew of obstacles manifesting in what some could describe as a slow learning curve. To put it more bluntly, I had been a self-centered mama's boy dealing with undiagnosed adult ADHD for the first half of my marriage, which only perpetuated my hyper-focus, lack of organization, frustration, manifesting extreme feelings of success and self-worth to spiraling thoughts of self-deprecation, which helps explain how I could go from a radically successful social media marketing wizard to foreclosure and bankruptcy through those years. Babe, you're right. You don't need to tell me I'm right. I know I am, she quipped. I reasoned back. It's just, I know I'm doing a good job, but there are millions of good jobs to be done. I can't do them all. Nor do I feel like they're all mine to complete. So I guess what my concern is, I feel like I'm doing too many good things and not enough God things. Know what I mean? My schedule is packed with good things in an attempt to meet every real and perceived expectation that either others have put on me or I've placed on myself. And in doing all of these good things, I feel like I've completely abandoned the good thing, which I originally felt was and still possibly is God's purpose for my life. And it's in doing those things that I find satisfaction. The silence following my response was tangible, like taking a bath in a vat of overly carbonated soda water with the bubbles invading every ounce of my personal space. I hate silence. I fear it, really. I still use my daughter's infantile colic experience as an excuse now years later to why I needed a fan beside my bed to sleep at night. If I didn't have a source of white noise, I would wake up swearing I could hear children crying all night long, which is a genuinely disturbing experience that jolts me awake in search for a crying child that I was certain I heard moments ago, somewhere between a dream world and reality. I shoved another mouthful of noodles in my mouth, attempting to drown out the silence which filled the air. However, it is decidedly much worse to listen to myself chewing in a silent room, as opposed to simply enduring the silence alone. Finishing that last bite of tofu, I continued on to say, I just miss the parts where I prayed with strangers out in the city doing deliveries, taking risks and telling my customers and friends about Jesus, listening to the Bible and praying for hours and hours a day alone in my truck. 
I feel like all I do is run a glorified teenage babysitting service. You know, for the teens that are forced to come to church with their parents. I mean, some genuinely want to be there, but that's usually just the homeschoolers. And most all of these kids grew up in the church. They either don't have or choose to not bring their other friends. It doesn't even matter how many cool events we host, prizes we give away, challenges we give them, or money we spend. They've resolved to keep their church friends and their personal friends separate from one another with no desire for these two worlds to ever collide. In fact, it's as if they defend these separate worlds, insulating them from each other, ensuring they don't ever meet. Beginning to realize that I was belaboring the point and spiraling further from the truth, my wife interjected herself back into my rant. A little more gently this time, however, sparing me from another potential flying noodle. Babe, I get it. Hear me out, though. You can't place the blame in all your frustrations on the very kids you feel called to lay your life down for and to serve. This is the path you chose, and the Lord has been faithful to us. She wasn't wrong. I quietly nodded so not to interrupt her flow. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps, right? You're here now. He didn't lead you down this path of your heart's desire to just have you throw in the towel, leaving you utterly defeated. And before you say you're right again, let me stop you. I already know I'm right. Staring directly at me, she pursed her lips and wrinkled her nose, as if her facial expressions were a visual representation of proper punctuation, both completing and emphasizing all she said with an exclamation point followed by an ellipsis. If, in biblical terms, it were translated from the original Hebrew, her face would simply say, Selah a musical term found in the book of Psalms added for the director of music, with the intent to give room for the listeners of the song to pause and reflect, specifically in correlation to the preceding verse. Thank you. I struggled to find anything else to add or take away from my wife's motivational speech, but she sufficiently covered all the bases. I, uh, just, I need to take a few days off, I think, and get my head straight back in the game, you know, I replied with a glimmer of hope. I'm going to take next week off. I think I might have <coughs> caught what you had. <coughs> I faked a few coughs, emphasizing my intentions of taking a week off of work thanks to our state's fearless leaders and their seemingly endless ability to print paychecks funded by unknown bottomless sources of currency. Babe, really? My wife bemoaned in irritation, knowing that meant she would be going back to work the same day I would be taking a week off. <coughs> Sorry, I just gotta obey the law, right? I winked at Tara. Silence. Rolling her eyes at me, she turned her attention back to the TV, pressing play to resume some obscure British murder mystery show featuring a Catholic priest doubling as a small-town detective. With that said, I can't wait for you guys to listen to this podcast. I'm excited to release it. And whether you or not you enjoy it, I'm really enjoying writing it. I'm really enjoying recording it. And every episode gets better and better because I'm going to tell you, I, I may have done recording. I may have tried some voice acting like for myself, not for anybody else. I'm not going to act like I've recorded for something except for one project that was super awkward back in 2011. Oh my goodness. Maybe I'll share that uh, episode at another time. It was so cringy. Anyhow, with that said, I'm so excited because I keep learning more and more about how to record better, how to edit better, how to create the environment more and more uh, rich and and immersive, that's the word I'm looking for, 
So with that said, you haven't seen nothing yet. Get ready for the next chapter. And I'm telling you, it really starts ramping up, especially as we start getting into chapter four, chapter five. It, it, just be ready to hold on to your seatbelt. And I can't wait for you to hear more about it and follow along with it. Please make sure if you can support this by just sharing it with a friend. If it encouraged you, if it was entertaining, if it was fun, send it off to them. Say, hey, check this out. That would mean a lot to me. Thank you so much for all you're doing and uh, more information to come. But for now, just follow me on the Instagram. <laughs> all right. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like more information about the show, Kevin's work, or you have questions or would like to be a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me directly on my Instagram at kevin.scott.johnson. I look forward to hearing from you. God bless.